0: He had intervened to help. That was all he wanted to do. All his efforts were to protect and defend. Hugo Alfredo Tail Yax, this is his last name, double last name, a 31-year-old Guatemalan immigrant, was walking home in the early morning of April the 18th, uh, 2010. And in front of him there, in this Queens neighborhood, there uh, was a fight between a man and a woman that got physical. And in the midst of it getting physical, he tried to intervene and to protect her. While he was doing so, Taliax was stabbed several times. He fell to the ground, his perpetrator and the woman fleeing. He had intervened to help. And as he lay there in the road, his life literally leaving his body, video surveillance footage from the scene shows at least seven people walking by and not intervening. Some turned their heads. Some stood and gawked. One person even went down, lifted his body up, saw the blood, put it down, and walked away. Martha Cohen, who teaches across the street from where this had happened, commented, I think people are just afraid to step in. They don't want to get involved. Now this story was shocking, as you could imagine, because it spoke of our culture's unwillingness to get involved in real tragedy so that they might preserve their own lives and don't want to be bothered. In fact, because these seven people walked by, Heliacs eventually died. He passed away. Perhaps many of us know what this is like. We've, We've been in dire straits in some situation in our life. And like William Wallace's wife in that movie Braveheart, as she is tied up, is looking over the hills for her husband to come. And he never does. That longing for intervention that never comes. When in your life have you felt Helplessness and aloneness kiss because they were so intimate with one another. Have you ever experienced that? Many of us, Christian or not, I would suggest to you, have profound questions of this with respect to not other people, but to God's own presence. You see, we've been in hard circumstances and we've been left, quote, to bleed out. If we're honest, y'all, we doubt. That God really cares about our affairs enough to get near. We look at our lives and we conclude His presence is nowhere to be found. He doesn't know where I'm at or what I'm going through. He simply doesn't care enough to get involved. Well, this psalm, Psalm 139, is going to address this very thing in a profound way. Y'all, David is going to show us the opposite of what happened on that Queen Street back in 2010. He is going to show us that David is going to show us that God is uncomfortably intimate with us. And this is the one thing that I want to drive home tonight. That God is near to you. That God knows you. And that He is near to you in the most profound sort of way. Now, we're going to look at this basically underneath two headings tonight. First, what intimacy is David shows us. And then secondly, what intimacy does. So those are our two main points. They're there in your sheet if you want. Let's jump right in in verses 1-18. to What intimacy is. Now, I'm telling you, this point's going to be a little bit longer than the next one, and that's okay. But when I say the word intimacy, I bet most of you have these weird notions of like, oh, that's what... That's that's like sexual intimacy. That means like getting naked with somebody. And I want to suggest to you that uh, that's actually not what I mean, (laughs) but it's not disconnected from what I'm talking about, and we'll see that later on. When I'm talking about intimacy, I want you to see that David shows us that intimacy consists of two things. First of all, deep knowledge and permanent presence. And that you really need both to have a picture of what I'm talking about when I talk about intimacy and the intimacy that God has with us, so let's take a first little look at this at deep at the deep knowledge. Look there in verses one to six. David comments on how piercing and how deep God's knowledge of David's actions are. This text highlights one of God's attributes, namely what we say is His eminence. It's just. A word that communicates how near God is to us as people. Now, y'all know this. In some texts, we read about God being big and out there. He's the one that flings the stars across the heavens, right? He's the one that orders all things to the counsel of His own will. There in Ephesians chapter 1. So He's big and He's mighty and He's massive. But the Bible also talks about God not only being big and completely other than us, but about being near and dear to us. And that's what we're looking at tonight. Did you notice how David describes it? Look there There's those first six verses. David says that God knows all of his actions and thoughts. Look at verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Where David goes, God knows. And he knows his ways. Look at verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Did you notice in verse 4 that David knows that God knows His words before they're even spoken? Do you see it there? Before a word is even on my tongue. Oh Lord, You know it all together. That's how near He is. David is saying, God, You know everything about me. Not one of my thoughts, not one of my actions is hidden from You. And then in verse 5, David literally says, God, you have besieged me like a city. That word, him, or enclosed in, literally is what would have happened when an army would have surrounded themselves around the city wall. And that's what David is saying that God has done. And He has closed them in. And then, in the most intimate of expressions, like a father with a newborn child, he lays his hand on the child and covers him. Do you see it there in Verse 5. You hem me in and you lay your hand upon me. How tender, how sweet, how intimate. That's what David wants you to know. That it's a deep knowledge of all the inner workings of us as men as us as women. God knows that. He knows that. But that's not all. He knows something as well. And that all else is is a permanent presence. Before we go there, let me kind of illustrate this. Audrey, our 11-month-old, we found out something special about her this weekend. Um, we were, um, they were asleep or they were about to go down. I can't remember what what the exact details, but there was, uh, a lot of food leftovers from where they had eaten and they had made a mess. And so I went over to, uh, their closet where the vacuum cleaner was and pulled the vacuum cleaner out. And about that time, Laura was bringing the girls out. They had woken up from their nap. So yes, it was after they were napping. And, um, And I began to hold them and play with them. And what was amazing was that Audrey turned her head and saw that vacuum cleaner. And it was like immediately all hell and terror consumed her. She was like... and began just trying to crawl further into me as I was holding her. Crawling up further into my arms, almost... Like she couldn't get near me enough. And I put my arm around her and I told her it was going to be okay. And I laid my hand on her back, began to rub it, and tell her it's okay. Daddy's got you. I want to suggest to you that Audrey knows something about what David is getting at. That David is saying that we have a God that knows us intimately and His knowledge of us is tender. It's tender. Does that make sense? It's not the knowledge that you have of two plus two equals four. It's the sort of intimacy. It's the knowledge of intimacy that David wants you to know. So it's not only that that we talked about, but also this permanent presence. What do I mean? Well, let's turn our eyes to verse seven through eighteen. Look, David views himself as somebody who is known, and I want to suggest to you that there is more. There is more to intimacy than just being known. Look, your dog knows you. You see what I'm saying? There's got to be something more. And I want to show you what it is, this idea of permanent presence in a sweeping fashion. did you read this? Did you catch this what was going on? David was saying. Where shall I go from your Spirit? Where can I go if I ascend to heaven? If I go down to the depths of the earth in Sheol, the symbolically highest and lowest places in all of the created order, if he travels to the end of the world to the east or to the end of the world in the west, that God is with him there too. In other words, there is no place that that David can go or can imagine or dream of or potentially go that God is not with him there intimately. Now the question is, will God ever leave him? In other words, okay, great, it's glad he's with him now, but what about in the future? Will He ever abandon him, and will He ever abandon you and me by extension? And David answers with a resounding no. Look at verses thirteen to sixteen. He says this. He says, "Your name, oh, sorry, wrong, wrong Psalm again." Um, You have formed my inner parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, y'all, look. It is God, before you were even molecules, God knew you. And He was with you then. And He will be with you to the end of your days. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, is that God never, ever, ever leaves you. And it's that what's so important. Because look, you need to know that God's commitment to you, His presence to you, is one of investment. That He is invested in you. He is, it is not just a cold relationship that He has with you. It is that, as I mentioned, with a father and a child. So let's take these two things. This idea of deep knowledge of something and also of permanent presence. And when you put those two together, that's when you have real intimacy. And I suggest to you that you need them both. This is, by the way, why many of you think of sexual intimacy when I say the word intimacy. Here's why. Because at its best, the most supreme relationship that God has designed is, with, is one man with one woman for the rest of their lives. It is there that there is meant to be both deep knowledge and permanent presence. Look, the best marriages, y'all, express both of these. And they have always only been pointers to to the way that God loves His people. In other words, the best, the richest of marriages are only a shadow of the way that God loves you. Have you ever considered that? Think about it this way. Don't you long for somebody to look into the core of your being, to see everything that is there your junk, your history, your sins, your past, those parts of you that you hate and that you would never let anybody know? But don't you really long for somebody to peer into that part of your being, to look at it, and to not go anywhere? to look at that and to not laugh, to look at that and to not scoff or to cackle, but to love and embrace you and to say I'm with you till the end even in spite of what's there? Don't you long for that? In other words, don't you long to be deeply known and deeply accepted at the same moment That's the picture of what marriage is. But even marriage in its best is only a pointer of what God does for us. Do you see that? I'm giving you this, y'all. I'm actually saying that this is the way that God relates to you. That He is this intimate, David is saying. And it's the same for you. Listen, if you are a Christian, you need to know this about God. He really does know everything about you and He stays put In fact, he looks there and he's not as though he's indifferent. He looks there and he delights in what he sees. This is the intimacy that David is writing about. Before you can lift a finger, he knows what happens. And most encouragingly, y'all, he looks at your flaws and your dark moments and he says, that is okay. I love you. I love you. Look, why would anyone want anything to do with me is what we often think. And Jesus, in the person, the God in the person of Jesus comes to you and He remains faithful. He accepts you. This is what David is getting at. And listen, I want to suggest this to you tonight. If you're not a Christian, I've said this many times in RUF, I do not assume that anybody in this room is a Christian. But I want you to know that if you are not a Christian tonight, I want you to see that that is what is on offer to you in Christianity that the God of the universe looks into who you're who you are all your warts and all and he says I accept you I love you you need to know that God pursues you and what that means is this that he comes after you not in a bad way not to beat you up but he comes in you comes at you because of his affections for you like a lover does toward His bride. That is the picture that you need to see about what Christianity is. And in whatever you have in your mind, categorically, if it doesn't include that, you've misunderstood what Christianity is all about. I want you to see that, and I want you to know that. Y'all, look, this is huge for TCU students. I told you this point was going to be a little longer. I know it. Here's why. Because most people on this campus believe that the only way that God will have anything to do with them is if they clean up their act. Is that if they get their act together first, then God will have something to do with them. And David is saying in Psalm 139, nothing could be further from the truth. That God loves you in your mess. And He accepts you there. How does He do this? We'll look at that in a moment. But that's that's what the truth is. So no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much you think that God is not near you and dear to you in this moment, I want you to understand that He is present, that He loves you, and that He cares for you. That's what David wants you to know. Some of you all go, that's good, that's good news, all right. I just don't believe it. Well, look, whether you believe or not does not make it untrue. In other words, your unbelief, literally, you need to damn it. And you need to say, my unbelief be damned. The gospel tells me that Jesus Christ loves me. Whether I feel it or not, whether I know it in this moment or not, that's what this book is all about. And that's what David wants you to know. So it's not only uh, deep knowledge, but it's permanent presence. And the two go together to give us this deep picture of what biblical intimacy is. Now, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving on to my second and last point here. What does intimacy do? David is going to tell us that once God comes this near, once that he is this intimate, everything changes. But more appropriately, he shows us that we are the ones that change. What do I mean? Let's sit back for a second. Let me tell you a story. Um, have you ever had someone in your life? who you know that makes you uncomfortable. (laughs) Who almost delights in making things awkward for you. Um, I might be that person for you in your life, and I'm actually okay with that. Um, I think I'm quite skilled at that and take an appropriate sense of pride in being able to do that with people. Uh, You can ask my sister about this because I'm going to share a story with you about... Three or four years before I had gotten married, my sister, her name is Laura as well. We were living. She was unmarried at the time. And we were hanging out with our parents. And um, we had gone to the grocery store for a quick grocery run. And we decided to use that self-serve line. Now, um, I had picked up a bowl of that um, I Hate Myself cereal. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's that cereal that you eat at 10 o'clock at night that's full of sugar and you eat it because you like hate yourself or something. Um, For me, that guilty pleasure for me is those Reese's peanut butter. uh, Yeah, the Reese's what? Yes, those things. are There's some in my pantry right now. And I guarantee you when I leave here, y'all know what I'm doing. I'm eating some Reese's puffs. I don't know what that is. It might be Lucky Charms from you. I digress. Here's my point. I took that box and I ran it over the scanner with my hand intentionally on the barcode, and I just kept running it back and forth. I just kept, and it would not. Bing! It would not do that. And finally, that clerk—I don't know who it was—he was so kind. He came over and helped show me how to do this, as if I really didn't know how to do it. And I was, oh, thank you so much. He goes back to his station. My sister now is is cute into this. I pick up the second item, whatever it is, and again, we tried to scan it with my hand over the barcode, and she. She's sitting there going, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I can't figure this out." And the guy comes back and he gladly picks this thing up, scans it for me, and says, "There you go, sir." And I said, "Oh, thank you." I can't. This is this technology is too much for me. (laughs) Now, my sister knows in that moment what's going on. She knows that she will never call me out in that moment with what I'm doing, and so it's making her feel incredibly awkward. She gets to the car of course she says well why do you do this why do you punish me like this well i just want to suggest to you that there actually might be another way that people make you feel uncomfortable what do i mean what about this have you um, have you ever had that person in your life that makes you feel uncomfortable in a redemptive way who exposes all that's in you and wants you it, it, it it wants, that exposure wants you to become a more beautiful, loving, and kind version of who you really are. That their presence literally changes you and wants you to, uh, to be the more beautiful person that you long to be. Have you ever known? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your grandparents. Well, that's what David is saying is happening. David is getting at here in these verses. He's saying that I have been affected by the nearness of God and it is changing me. Look here in these verses. He says, Do I not hate those who hate You, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against You? He goes on to say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. David says this, the fundamental loves, those things that drive me, they have been radically altered when You come into my life, O Lord. David, in other words, is beginning to love the things that God loves. And he's beginning to hate the things that God hates. And it's all happening because God has invaded his life He has said, search me and know me, Lord. David is saying that since God has been so near to him, it's utterly changed the fundamental structure of his heart. Here's my point. God's nearness in your life, y'all, will disrupt you. It will make you love the things that He loves, and it will make you hate the things that He hates. Moreover, from the inside out, you'll want God to search you and to clean out all of the things that are against His purposes in the world. It will make you want His ways. His presence will make you want to think His thoughts after Him. But this is never an easy process because it is like you're letting go of the things that you must love, but ah, 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 the things that are killing you. And it is precisely here that God's intimacy is uncomfortable. the uncomfortable intimacy of God. He comes so near that He begins to disrupt the fundamental things that you love in your life. You see, when God comes to your life, it means that a new motivation, God's mercy, begins to drive it. All of the things that have been driving you have to be let go of. Like an addict who is addicted to heroin, you are being pulled off in that moment, all of the things that are killing you, but that you love. And what is that thing? It is the self. That deep principle inside of you that says that what you really want and that the things that what you really say are what ultimately matter in your life. And to have that, that deep desire changed in your life is incredibly Uncomfortable. Well, what does this mean on a practical level? Two quick things. I'll say them positively and negatively. Let me begin with the bad news. If you are a Christian, you must ask yourself, do I love the things that God loves? Am I willing to be shaped, to have my life shaped by what He says for my life, not what I say for my life? Now, I don't merely mean What I say that I love. I mean, how does my life reflect my profession that I'm actually a Christian? You cannot walk away from Psalm 139 and not deal with that issue. Because why? Once God comes into your life, He utterly reorders things. Think about it like this. The writer C.S. Lewis has an illustration that compares God coming into our lives like the remodeling of a home. Junior, you'll appreciate this in your little remodeling world. Think about it like this. We think of God coming in like this. We expect the God to come in and rearrange the furniture in the living room. Or perhaps He'll put some new coats of paint up on the old dingy walls. And maybe at best He comes in with Stanley the carpet cleaner and cleans out all the gunk and filth in our carpets. And we begin to think, that's what life is like when God comes into my world. He kind of cleans me up a little bit. But Lewis says this that couldn't be the furthest, this couldn't be, the truth couldn't be further from that. When God comes into your life, He actually enters in with a sledgehammer and begins to knock out walls. The roof comes off. A new addition goes on over here. That's another 200 square feet or something. The basement that was never there gets dug out. And, and it's an absolutely utter project altogether. Listen to Lewis's words when he says, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. I want you to know that that's what God is up to in your life. And if that's what he's up to, to have a wall knocked out, y'all, is incredibly uncomfortable. Yes, it is hard. It will feel that way. Let me say the positive side of things. I want you to know that if this is really true, if God really is coming into your life this way, it it will feel at times, y'all, painful. So let me just encourage you. If following Jesus for you is hard, welcome to the club. If walking after Him is difficult for you, and it's difficult at times, and you need other people to encourage you, then guess what? You're following Jesus. Your life is being changed. You're swimming against the grain. And that's good news. It should be a caution for you if that's not the case. If following Jesus, if taking the name of Jesus is easy for you, there is all sorts of problems. Do you see what I'm getting at? God comes into your life. It necessarily disrupts you. That's what David wants you to know. It's like a surgeon with his scalpel He wields it only to heal and never to harm. He cuts to cure. He knocks out a wall to make beautiful because He Himself is coming to live in it. In the end, His presence makes you hate all that is evil and opposed to Him. Ever since sin entered the world, you guys, in Genesis 3, God's intimacy has been uncomfortable to us. When Adam and Eve were confronted with it after eating the fruit, they couldn't handle it, and so they hid from God. His presence was too much for them to bear, and this was because of how prevalent and how real their sin was, and it had been that way, and it has been that way ever since, right on down to you and me. You'll remember the story of the man who was left to die in Queens that we opened with tonight. Many of us have wondered about that with God. But if there's anything, y'all, that the cross of Christ tells us, it is that God got intimately involved with His creation. He came, He got His hands dirty, and doing so for Him was incredibly uncomfortable. This is why this is so important. The The uncomfortable intimacy of God. You thought I was talking about you. And I am, but I want you to know the uncomfortable intimacy of God on God Himself. What about that, y'all? You know the story that we celebrated this past weekend. God came near to us, and it killed Him. It killed Him. That's the level of uncomfort, of discomfort, and that discomfort pales in comparison with what it cost. Um, with what it cost you and me to walk and to follow Him. And so we can't say that God doesn't care about you and me and your life if He's given up His life for you. And because of His death, for those who hide from Him, sinners like you and me, I want to remind you that you and me have incredible access and intimacy with Him. What sin marred and ruined, Jesus put back together. In the end, You will never lie helpless with no one to come and help you. Jesus reminds us that God's intimacy with man was far more uncomfortable to Himself. And He gladly, gladly endured it to win you and me. Do you trust this tonight? Do you believe this tonight is true for you? I hope you will. Will you pray with me?